Hey, um, we're glad to be together, and uh, we look forward to uh, jumping into God's Word. But before we do, um, today, as you know, is the 21st anniversary of 9-11 when our country was attacked inside our borders for the very first time from an outside force. And um, you may remember uh, the scenes on television, you know, with the planes hitting the towers and uh, the Pentagon and uh, the plane that went out to um, Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Man, it was a uh, really a horrific day, I think, in, in the history of America. But what it did is it brought Americans together to realize that we need God. And it, that's so easy to forget, isn't it? And then you look at ground zero and you look at the cross that uh, that wasn't planted there. That was at the end of the day, that cross was standing. And really, I think it was a reminder that God was saying, no matter what you go through, I am always there with you. Even when bad things happen, God is always there to walk us through. And he's faithful. And I don't know what you're going through this morning. Your past week, your month, the past year, uh, maybe you've kind of had a 9-11 hit your life personally, but God is here to tell you to remind you, man, that he will never check out on your life. And he wants to be involved in every detail of your life because he gets fired up over that. But we need to give him permission. We need to give him a thumbs up. Yes, God, I, I give you permission to walk through every corridor of my life, you know? Like for those of you that came trying to get across A Street this morning, you know, blockaded. I couldn't even get across. I live in a neighborhood. I had to go east and I had to go south and I had to go west and I had to come north and then I had to go east again. But I made it! <laughs> Just like you. Just like you. So... God is saying, man, I don't care whatever route you take, I'm always going to be there for you. So uh, that's good news. And then this past Thursday, uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away at the age of 96. And I don't know if you've tracked her life, but um, some of the cool things coming out was that she reigned on the British throne for seven decades, relying on Jesus Christ to help her serve that nation. Some of the things that she was known to have said was, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. She said, to what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than to the imperishable truth to be found in this treasure house, the Bible? Billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives, and I am one of them. And then she said, uh, after hearing one of the chaplains speak uh, on the second coming of the Lord, and afterwards she was having a conversation with the pastor, and she said, oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. And the chaplain asked her, why? Why would you want that? Does your majesty feel this very earnest desire? And the queen was kind of broken up at that time, and she said, I should so love to lay my crown 
at his feet. Friends, we've lost uh, a great world leader, and uh, I've been encouraged just to hear, you know, some history on her life, how she carried herself, and her core beliefs. And we need to be praying for that for our nation as well, you know, that God would have mercy on us, that God will bless us once again, because we have turned our backs on him. Quite frankly, we do deserve judgment but we're praying for God's mercy and his grace. Will you join with me as we pray? Father, we thank you this morning for being here. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what we go through in life, you are faithful, you are consistent. Uh, You never check out on us, Lord. And 21 years ago, we're reminded of what happened to our nation and how we saw our nation come together, really, with humility and look to you for help. And how quickly we forget about you, Lord. And life gets busy, and we get cut up in the way we want to live our lives, and we put you in the box and put you in the closet and say, next time, only when there's a tragedy, I'll call on you. And Lord, forgive us for that kind of an attitude. We pray for our nation this morning, Lord, that you would heal our land Mm, that you would extend mercy and grace to us, Lord, that we would be one nation under God. We need you, Lord. We need your help. We pray for the families that lost loved ones, that ran into those burning buildings to rescue people that didn't even know. As a model of what you did for us on the cross, Lord, you went to the cross to pay for our sin dead and full. And how grateful we are for that. We thank you for the legacy from Queen Elizabeth, Lord. Uh, She modeled an individual that was humble enough to say, even though I'm a queen, I would put my my throne and my crown at the feet of Jesus. God, help us to do that. Because we know that sometimes we think we're the kings of our lives and queens of our lives. We want to do life the way we want to do it. And so we, we pray today that no matter what each person's going through, that we would allow you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you should have your outline. I've got mine. And uh, those of you online, you can pull it up on the Life Church webpage or... Um, on the Facebook page, we try to make it easy. <clears throat> There's pins on the back wall if you need a pen. It's always fun to fill in the blanks, right? And uh, you start out empty and you can leave and you've got all the answers. That's always exciting, so that's good. We've got a baptismal service, man, at the end and, and uh, we're excited about uh, individuals once they place their faith in Christ like the early church, when they were baptized, they make a public declaration of having a relationship with Christ. It is great to go public in your relationship with Jesus. So we have that to look forward to. Kenny Luck, he's a uh, uh, Christian speaker, author, really spends a lot of time with men's ministry. He tells a story 
one morning at the breakfast table, he spied his four-year-old daughter eating something with white icing and sprinkles. And uh, a closer inspection, he saw that it was a blueberry Pop-Tart fresh out of the toaster. You know how that fills the aroma of your kitchen, right? Yeah. And he wanted one, and so he went to the cupboard to look for the blueberry Pop-Tarts, but there weren't any. And he was very saddened by that prospect because the last two were sitting on his daughter's plate. So what was he going to do? Without hesitation, he approached Jenna, his daughter, and informed her with a soft, loving voice that that second Pop-Tart on her plate had something yucky on it and that he needed to really give it a taste test. And the daughter said, come on, Dad. What if the Pop-Tart isn't yucky? And he said, well, let's find out. Let's, let me put it to my special Pop-Tart testing machine as he took a generous bite of the Pop-Tart. <laughs> he chewed it very slowly and let the tension build in his kitchen. Oh, I'm not sure this is a good Pop-Tart at all. He shook his head as he polished it off. I think there are some serious biohazards here. I'm afraid that that... My special Pop-Tart testing machine must destroy all your Pop-Tarts. <laughs> he casually reached for her half-eaten blueberry Pop-Tart, and she pleaded, No, Dad, don't do it. <laughs> Sorry, too late, as he finished it off. And he reflected later, uh, Well, I'm ashamed to tell this taking candy from a baby story. It reveals a fundamental truth about me. When it's in my interest, I am a pro at playing mind games with others and myself in order to do what I want to do. And isn't that true? Maybe you haven't uh, harassed your four-year-old daughter in the kitchen lately, you know, trying to take care of that Pop-Tart. We all mentally rationalize doing wrong in our personal lives at times, haven't we? It's kind of like thinking, you know, I deserve this. I've been working hard. No one will ever know. I can't help myself. It's part of the job and somebody has to do it. Or as long as nobody gets hurt, everyone's going to be okay. I'll do it one last time, I promise, and then I'll quit. And then compared to him or her, I'm not so bad. And even the thought... You know, it's too, learn it's too late to turn back now. You know, I've gone too far. And so um, what we find is this stinking thinking can really destroy our lives if we let it go unchecked. One man put it this way, I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do that, say that, or watch that. It feels wrong, but I do it anyway. I always say to myself that I'll start tomorrow, just one more day, then I'll start over on Monday. I can change, but I'm just going to do it later. You see, we all seem to know God's standards, don't we? The right and wrong. We've experienced the erosion of our character that's failing time after time in the trenches of life. But your thoughts matter. And that's where we're going to land this morning. Your thinking, your thoughts that are allowed in your mind really make a difference in how you live your life. Negative thinking leads to negative living. 
And uh, honestly, we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of life do we want to live? Do we want to keep giving in to wrong thinking, stinking thinking? Well, the half-brother of Jesus put it this way in James 1.21. He said, so get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. What James is saying is, you got to get into God's word because that's where truth is found. And that's where you'll correct wrong thinking into correct thinking. That's where Paul's going to go this morning. And uh, today is not the time to be living a compromised life. You know, a foot in the world, a foot in with Christ. We know that we're dealing with an enemy of our souls, that our mind is the battleground, that Satan is identified as the father of lies, and that he's identified as a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. So therefore, we've got to put boundaries around our lives and our minds. And here's the thing. God understands how important our thinking is. In Psalm 119, 23, it says, I will meditate on your decrees. In other words, I will camp out in your word, O God. I will think about it. I will apply it to my life. And the cool thing is, as we immerse ourselves in, in what? In reading God's word, you'll find that you start modeling the very character of God. And I tell you what, that's what gets you fired up. That's what gets me fired up. When I see God working and changing me from the inside out. You don't ever want to stop that from happening. And so, last week we, we hit, uh, and you can see it in your notes, Number that intro is already filled out, the battle for your mind. Proverbs 4.23, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. And so um, that's where we're going today. Before we do, let's move to Philippians chapter 4, because that's where we're going to be camping out, Philippians chapter 4. Um, let's start at verse 6, that's where we started last Sunday, and we'll get through verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, your U version on your phones, uh, you can pull it up right now, it's also in your notes. Uh, here we go. Don't worry, Paul says, about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. See that transition? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, and everything you heard me from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise that we have. So, Paul is saying it's important how we think. And as a reminder, there is a battle for your mind. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that incredible? We can have the mind of Christ. 
We can think the way Christ thinks. Now, you might think, well, man, that is way out of reach. There is no way that I can attain that. Paul says, hey, as a follower of Christ, he can renew our minds, in, like in Romans 12, too. Let God transform you in a new person by changing the way you think. And when you think right, you have the mind of Christ. That's something that we can look forward to. Now, here's something interesting that... We need to allow Jesus Christ to rule and reign in our minds. He has control over our thinking. When Jesus quoted Israel's great Shema in Mark 12, 30, this is what he said. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What's interesting in this verse in Mark is that that word mind was added by Jesus, because it's not in the ancient Shema. But in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is raising the standard once again, that the mind is very, very important. You just can't let everything invade your thinking at any time and take you places where you don't want to go. And so Jesus is saying, man, it's important how you take care of your mind. You need to keep your minds on him. And so number one in your notes, the focus of your attention, Paul transitions and he's saying, hey, hey, we've been talking a lot about rejoicing. We've been talking about having the joy of God in everything that we do in life. But now he's saying, hey, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. There needs to be a focus of our attention in the way that we think. What's cool about this part of Philippians 4 is Paul is giving us specific instructions and details on how we should think. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, uh, you know, somebody says, well, you need to think good thoughts. Well, what does that look like? Well, Paul's going into some pretty good detail right here. And he's drilling down for us. That word, fix your thoughts, in verse 8a. One final thing, fix your thoughts. It means to think about, to be focused upon mentally. It's in the present tense, in the original language, meaning that we should always be thinking about these things. We should always be thinking about it. In other words, your mind can never take a day off, right? My mind's tired. I don't want to think anymore. You can't afford to do that. Because there's always thoughts backing up, man, on the highway of your mind trying to get in. You can't do that. You've always got to keep your guard. Indicating that this action of fixing our thoughts, man, it's got to be intentional. Consistently. And if we focus on what's right, guess what? We live a life honoring to the Lord. Right thoughts produce right living. It's a good place to go at the end of the day, right? Sure is. Max Lucado put it this way. You probably know this, but in case you don't, I'm so thrilled to give you the good news. You can pick up what you ponder. You didn't select your birthplace or your birth date. You didn't choose your parents or siblings. You don't determine the weather or the amount of salt in the ocean. There are many things in life over which you have no choice, 
But the greatest activity of life is well within your dominion. You can choose what you think about. Aren't you happy about that? You're not happy about it. Let's hear from our, uh, our guest up in the uh, stream today. Can we hear him? Woo! <laughs> They're fired up. Yeah, we get, we get to choose what we think about. He says you can be the traffic controller of your mental airport. You occupy the control tower and can direct the mental traffic of your world. Thoughts circle above, coming and going. If one of them lands, it is because you gave it permission. If it leaves, it is because you directed it to do so. You can select your thought pattern. It turns out that our most valuable weapon against worry weighs less than three pounds and sits between our ears. Think about what you think about. Everybody good with that? Yeah, yeah man. Let's, let's take a look at our control tower because this is a great visual. If you've ever been to Atlanta Airport or O'Hare Airport, uh, Atlanta is the busiest airport in the United States. What's crazy about it is if you're in the parking lot, you see these planes, man, they're lined up in the air coming from all different directions. And you think, how are these things going to land safe? Have you ever stayed up worrying about that? I never did. What you think is, man, that is cool, you know? I mean, there's... To do it up in the control tower, he's got the power to let these planes know when they can land and how they can land. What terminal, etc. Friend, that you've got that same power to determine what kind of thinking, what thoughts are going to come into your mind. So, Proverbs 25, 28, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What's that mean? In other words, if you don't use self-control and what you allow into your mind, your life's going to be broken down, you know? Your, your life's going to be in shambles. So um, we are, being the traffic control tower, we get to do this, man. And what 2 Corinthians 10.5, we capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. We capture every thought. And make it give up and obey Christ. So now Paul says, okay, we need to zero in on this one final thing about fixing our thoughts. And now he drills down even deeper on what we need to think. Number two, in verse 8b, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. How good are we doing that? Nobody wants, nobody wants to let each other know what they're thinking, you know, how they're thinking. The quality of their thinking, you know. If you got a report card and how you're thinking, how would that come out? It's published in the uh, Wisconsin State Journal. We'd be all fired up over that. You take a look at these descriptions that Paul gives. What is Paul saying? He's saying, man, we need to put a fence around our minds to, um, to allow what can come in and what cannot come in. Now, 
years ago, there was a study done with uh, playgrounds at public schools. And uh, so when, when a fence was placed around a playground, they found that the, the students used more of the playground area. So if there was a road on the other side of the playground, the students stayed closer to the building, to the school. That's where they felt safer. But when there was a fence around the playground, the students played on the entire playground because there was security in that. What's interesting as a follower of Christ, man, if we don't put a fence around our mind and how we think, we become vulnerable. We do. We allow ourselves to come under attack so much easier. But if we put a fence around it, a symbolic fence, like 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about, that we capture every thought. We talked about electric fence last week, you know? That's kind of what we're talking about here, putting an electric fence so if anything is not honoring to the Lord, zoom, it gets zapped. It's captured and dispelled. If it's honoring to the Lord, man, that thought can hang out as long as it wants. So we need to go into the fence building business. Good with that today? Yeah, man. So be it. Now, what's, what, what Paul is talking about here, he's not just staying away from bad thoughts, but this is an actual command. This is not a suggestion. You know, if you, if you're, if you get discipline or if you're, you know, he's saying it's a, it's a command. It's a, we need to be proactive. We need to fix our thoughts on what are true. We need to be the kind of people that intentionally allow good things to come into our minds. And if it's not, we need to dispel it with the strength of the Lord. One of the, one of the cool ways is that by reading God's word consistently. And another thing that I do on YouTube, man, I, I pull up worship songs and listen to them. And I get it. You can't always stay home and have your Bible open and have YouTube on listening to worship songs. I mean, there's things to do in life. But the thing is, you're, you're training your mind to go to that place. And so when things start to attack you throughout the day, wherever you are, at work, in school, driving, and have you noticed how angry people are on the highways today? <laughs> have you noticed that? Man, people are wired real tight. So as a follower of Christ, we need to chill. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. God is in control. He's got my life. I'm good with that. So we need to chill. And so getting into God's word, listening to worship songs, surrounding us with people, you know, when we come here, how cool is that? When we come during the week, man, and bump shoulders and beat each other on the chest as men. Come on, come on, you know, we encourage each other to keep going on in our walk with the Lord. Chuck Swindoll, what kind of performance would your car deliver if every morning before you left for work, you scooped up a handful of dirt and put it in your crankcase? The fine-tuned engine would soon be coughing and sputtering. Ultimately, it would refuse to start. The same is true of your life. 
Thoughts about yourself and attitudes towards others that are narrow, destructive, and abrasive produce wear and tear on your mental motor. They send you off the road while others drive past. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you can identify. You've been throwing dirt in your crankcase of life lately. And you're thinking, man, you're struggling with your thought life. There's hope. Paul's given us a lot of hope here in these verses. So fixing, that word fix, going back to verse 8, fix, fixing your thoughts, it's like setting a thermostat. So you have a thermostat in your house. And depending on the temperature, maybe some of you turned the heat on this morning because it was so cold outside. (laughs) What you do is, depending on the temperature, that furnace, that air conditioning unit, has to adjust to the temperature. And so what Paul is saying is you set the thermostat on your mind, what you're going to allow in and what you're not going to allow in. And by doing that... It helps prevent what doesn't need to be coming into your mind to stop at the fence and allowing the good stuff to come in and hang out. So we need to fix our thoughts on that. And Paul is giving us some detailed instructions here. He says, first of all, is it true? In other words, do all that's coming into your mind, does it ring true? Is it reliable? Your thoughts are fixed on what's real and genuine. That's what he's asking. Does it align with the Bible? Whatever is true is, divine, is defined in Scripture. And that's, good to, that's why we want to read the Bible. Because is it true? And um, Paul's saying that's what we need to do. Number two is it honorable. The word means it refers to what is majestic and awe-inspiring. <laughs> is your thought life honorable? That's what he's asking. Paul is saying, get your mind out of the gutter and frivolous things of life. That's a a decision you've got to make. Number three, is it right? It means in conformity to God's standard. Not is it right in my eyes, it's not right in the eyes of others, but is it right in God's eyes? Is it right? Paul chose a word here that in ancient times the word was used for scales in the marketplace. So when you went shopping, a standardized measure would be placed on one side of the scales, and here it's oranges. But maybe it was grain or wheat, or whatever the case may be. And the amount of grain of equal measure would be poured on the other side until the scale was balanced. At that point they would the they would say, This is right. This is a right measurement. It equals out, it balances out. That's what Paul is saying here. Is it right? Is it right in the eyes of God? You know, there's no deception here. There's no cheating on the scales. So the idea is on one side of the scales of Christian living is holiness, the holiness of God. And on the other side is what the believer focuses their minds on. Is that honoring to the Lord? And so we need to make sure that whatever we think about It's honoring and it's pure in the eyes of God. Number four, is it pure? That word means free from contamination or blemish. And that word pure in the Greek comes from the root word holy, 
Holiness. I know that sounds outdated, friends. I get it. But it's biblical. God is holy, therefore we need to be holy. We're not going to be perfect, but we use God as a standard. And we keep allowing him to work in and through us through the power of his spirit to keep changing us more and more into the very image of God. That's what Paul is talking about here. And if we live a pure life, a Christ-like life, our minds will think on what is pure. Number five, is it lovely? And it's the only time this word lovely is used in the New Testament. It literally means love towards thoughts of great moral and spiritual beauty, not anything of evil. And it has the idea of attracting loveliness as a magnet attracts iron filings. So wherever that magnet goes, it's picking up. And, and that word lovely is wherever good things are, it's like a magnet. Things, the good stuff just jumps on board. Paul is saying that's what we're looking for. Whatever is lovely is that which is beautiful in the eyes of God, spiritually attractive to those who are pure in heart. Number six, is it admirable? This idea refers to whatever is well spoken of God. In other words, God is the standard. What does God think about that? Does it line up with God's word? Is it highly respectable in the eyes of God? And Paul warns on the flip side, the negative aspect found in Ephesians 5.4, he says, I've seen stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So as a follower of Christ, man, as our goal is to become more and more like Jesus, what Paul is saying, I've seen stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, that's not for you. you know, it's not honoring to the Lord. You, you've got to get rid of that stuff. And in exchange, you pursue being thankful to the Lord for how he's working in your life. <laughs> that is so cool. Mm. And then Paul says two final things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Excellent refers to moral excellence and mental virtue. Uh, it reflects high moral standards that should dominate our thinking. That's where he's coming from. And worthy of praise, it means those things that God himself would approve. He put his stamp of approval on it. It's like God coming up to you and giving you a high five, man. That's good thinking. Keep it going. I want to encourage you, man, to press on. See, God's a cheerleader, man. He wants you to become like him. And we say, yes, indeed, God, we're going to do that. So Paul says, fix your thoughts on. It's a command. It's in present tense. We keep on doing it. It's not like I've been doing this for 35 years. I'm going to hit the pause button in my life. I'm going to cruise for a while. My brain's tired. My fence is broken down. Paul is saying that should never happen. He says, you keep on. Fixing your thoughts in verses 8 and verse 9. You keep on doing that. You don't give up. You don't get tired. You rely on God's Spirit to help you. And so you find out what's true and you think about it. So you're on a pursuit, man. 
You find out what's honorable and you think about it. You find out what's lovely and you think about it. You find out what's admirable and you think about it. It's a good challenge. God can help us do that very thing. So do we have a problem thinking impure thoughts? We need to examine what we listen to, what we watch on the Internet, read the books we read, the conversations we have with each other, the movies that we watch. We need to replace them with material that's honoring to the Lord. And I'm telling you, that will help change your thinking. Ask God to help you focus your mind on what's good. And guess what? It takes practice, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it doesn't come overnight, man. It takes practice. It takes discipline, but it can be done. So fixing your thoughts. Um, there's a lot of people that say you need to stop thinking that. Okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you stop thinking about that? Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Purity Principle, puts it this way. Just for a moment, I'd like, to, I'd like you to follow my instruction. Ready? Are you ready? Ready. Okay, don't think about snakes. Don't, I repeat. Do not think about big, slimy snakes coming up from your bathtub dream at night and slithering into your bed. Don't think about it. You hear me? Don't think about snakes. <laughs> Have I kept you from thinking about snakes? No, I've encouraged you to think about them. Now I want you to envision your favorite dessert. Perhaps it's your mother's Dutch apple pie. Oh boy. I see it. <laughs> or the chocolate chip cookies. Or the almond fudge ice cream. Well, oh, that's good too. Mm -hmm. Or a Butterfinger blizzard. I put the Butterfinger stuff on my Culver's uh, custard, man. That's just a footnote in case you were looking for something good. Just think about those mouth-watering treats. So, so, so what happened in the last few moments? You've forgotten all about those slithering snakes until I mentioned them again. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Our minds are not a vacuum. They have to be filled with something. So when you say, don't do that, then do this. That's what Paul's saying. Impure thoughts are pushed out by pure thoughts. They are. And that's what Paul says in Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, etc. And the more we fill our minds with purity, the less with impurity, the greater our purity and resistance to temptation. Man, I tell you, as a, as a man, as a woman, friend, I just want to encourage you to become fully engaged in this verse. Don't just listen to it. Put it into practice. And see what God does. I'm telling you, it will get you fired up in your walk with Christ. So, uh, Colossians, well, we're, divert, we're diverting momentarily, Colossians 3, 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. How often have you thought about heaven this past week? Huh? Well, Paul says, start to get in practice. You know, if you want to help the fence around your mind, start thinking about heaven. That's a good place to go. That's my home. That's where I will be forever and ever in the presence of God. So 
That's where we need to go. Romans 8, 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Man, we need to let that happen, don't we? We want to please the Spirit. And number three, practice builds consistency. Look at verse 9-8. Keep, put, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. What Paul is saying is, don't let up. Keep putting into practice. That's another command in the Greek. It's not a suggestion. We keep putting into practice. What Paul has been telling us, and Paul is saying, man, you look at my example. He says, all you've learned, it's everything that he taught at the church at Philippi, everything you receive from me, refers to the letter that he's writing to the church, knowing that this letter will be read out loud to the congregation, which is cool why we come together on Sundays. We hear the reading and the teaching of God's word. We receive from him everything you heard from me. When he was in Philippi, they observed his life. And even under house arrest, they're watching him and the words going all the way back to Philippi from Rome, 800 miles away. Our man Paul is staying consistent in his walk with Christ and saw me doing. What saw me doing, man? You saw me at the church of Philippi when we planted that church. You saw me in action. You saw me under stress. You saw me in a crisis. How did I respond? Paul is saying, that's what we need to keep putting into practice. That's why it's good to have people in your life that maybe have been doing this a little bit longer than you, right? They've had experience. They've learned over time how to live their lives in a way that's honoring to the Lord, to watch them and to keep putting into practice. And number four, the peace promise. 9b, then the God of peace will be with you. Verse seven, it says, the peace of God, that's God's own personal peace. Now in verse nine, it says, the reward is, if you put this into practice, the God of peace will be with you. You can go back to ground zero at that cross, a promise God was saying, I don't care what you go through in life, I will be there for you. And here, here's the peace promise. The God of peace will be with you. Isn't that great news? That's great news, man. What a promise. So, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, you are amazing. And we appreciate Paul writing and encouraging us on how we should think and help us today, Lord, if we have maybe neglected our minds, what we allow in. Our fences have been broken down. Invaders come in at will. Lord, forgive us. And today, may we be intentional about rebuilding that fence and allowing you to rule and reign in our minds. Because we want to live our lives that are honoring to you. And we know it starts with what we think about Thank you for the peace promise, Lord, in our world today where there's so much chaos and confusion. We thank you that you are the God of peace that pours that peace into us. Maybe today you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you would say, man, 
I recognize that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He paid my sin debt in full. If you only sinned once, that would be enough to keep you out of heaven because heaven is a perfect place. That's why we need to put our trust in Jesus, the Savior who paid for my sin debt, your sin debt. I can't earn my way in. I can't beg my way in. Your sin debt was paid in full. There's nothing you can do to earn it except put your trust in who Jesus is. Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross, paying for my sin debt in full. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. In exchange, you pour in your righteousness, your holiness. You take my sin out, you put your righteousness in. That's why I can go to heaven. I thank you for that, Lord. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. Through the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.